0: Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound.
1: What do you think, what, what kind of job do you think I'll get? Do you think I'll be a, a movie maker? No! Do you think I will be dating, dating a hot movie star someday?
0: No! No way!
2: Hello and welcome to the Madcap Tour Company. I'm your meter greeter, Jill Holbrook. In just a moment, I'll leave you in the capable hands of your tour guides, the knowledgeable and ever fashionable DC area natives David Ross and Daniel Bloom. Joining you on this sightseeing journey is a very special guest and he isn't your everyday fanny-packed tourist.
1: My name is Tom Berninger. I'm the director of Mistaken for Strangers.
2: At all times, please keep your hands and arms inside the CRV, or certified recording vehicle. What you do with your head, shoulders, knees and toes is entirely up to you. And now, I'll turn it over to Mr. Bloom and Mr. Ross for the remainder of your day. Enjoy the ride and take lots of pictures.
3: Uh, I would I would take a left. We are in the Great Nation's capital on 10th, at the corner of Tenth e with a trolley tour to my right. I'm with Tom and and with Dan Bloom and we are doing a nice little tour of the city as we talk about mistaken for strangers.
1: My brother is Matt Berninger, he's a lead singer of The National. It's a pretty big indie rock band these days, um, super indie rock. Some people call them brooding and depressing and, and a lot of the superficial remarks people say about indie rock, they are dad rock, which I think is bullshit. To me, dad rock just means they're, they get laid on a freaking basis, you know? <laughs>
4: I stay here, I'll never leave if I stay here, trouble
1: will find me. I they're you know indie rock band they're big they're they're well I guess respected critically, you know, they're a critic's darling, which is like whatever. Uh, I mean that's it's good for them, but uh um, and I made a movie I'm i Matt's younger brother by 9 years not not an indie rock fan at all and I was taken on tour and I m- made a documentary on these guys and uh, oh there's the uh Martin Luther King thing that's I've never seen that before yeah, we're cool. we're
3: going to we're going to see it day 1 of the tour what happened day
1: 1 the very very first day I was on tour didn't have my camera on me and I was in a rider truck in Brooklyn New York at the um, where was I? It was uh, at. Uh, I freak this! Why, why am I spacing this venue? It was it was um, the Bell House, and I ripped an awning. I ripped it like I was the rider truck was on a, on a sidewalk, and I was pulling off, and I was like, there's a car parked right next to it, so I was like halfway on a sidewalk, and I was just pu- I kept pulling up to like pull off the sidewalk back on the street, and I didn't realize the, the height of my rider truck, and I just ripped an awning off an awning store actually. <laughs> uh, it was a, like it was a sign and awning store, and I ripped his awning off. Which I guess you, you couldn't pick a better store, but he, I think he did. Like I think he took me for a little bit more than than, than what the awning cost. But that was my first day of, of crashing a rider truck. This was next to the Bell House. Yes. You know what they film there, David? Or they they tape there?
0: NPR's Ask Me Another, live from the Bell House. Oh.
3: From NPR and
0: WNYC, live from the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. This is Ask Me Another. I'm
2: Ophira Eisenberg, your host for this next hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia.
3: Pause,
0: quick photo up. Dick, can you stay in the car? Yes, I can stay in the car.
3: sent me the film, or they sent me the screener, and I paused it right after your brother was like, do you have any questions lined up? You know what I'm saying? I paused and I was like, all right, we need to book this. <laughs> I was like, I feel like this is a winner.
1: We, we, we toned that part down.
3: Yeah, he, he, uh,
1: my brother got fed with me a few times. I had questions. It just takes me a while to get warmed up, you know? I had some really good ones. Then he made me forget them because he yelled at me. You ever woken up? On a, in a nightmare on a bus because the movement what kind of nightmares that people talk about don't act like okay, that okay, don't I act have, like it's a okay, dumb question I'm have. following up on that my first uh, question do you have a notebook with with uh, a questions written down that you like Like, do you have any kind of organization and plan for this film
4: summer sun through the weather that I'm for the feeling that I lost today for the feeling that I lost
3: today After this film, do you still find indie rock to be uh, pretentious bullshit? <laughs> um, Yeah,
1: he, my brother said that kind of as a joke, but it, it's not that I find it... a little bit. I mean, I i, I, I just feel like um. I think sometimes indie rockers don't seem like they're having very much fun up there. You know, it seems like it's it's emotional strain for them too. And I say like, why? Why? Like, for me, it's like if you're gonna learn how to play music and learn how to play the guitar, just just play it or drums. Just like, just go all out and and, and, and <laughs> go fast. You know, I mean that's on a superficial level. But for me, I, I do like the aggression. I do. I think metal is the the most primal most straightforward form of of musical expression. I mean, simply because you're screaming and it's loud and it's kind of like this full-on assault. Everybody wants to scream out loud sometimes and I think these restrained singers in indie rock especially you know I, I feel like it's restrained and, and I think you know obviously people love that kind of stuff but I feel like I feel like it's a it's a, it's a waste of, of musical talent <laughs> Have you ever heard of Unlocking the Truth? yes i have they are two wonderful uh what is it in brooklyn or from yes yeah. and they ad- they added a third now they have a bas- oh they, really they have a bassist they, they have a band yes got a band <laughs> i like them i like them they uh they 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 said something funny they like there was an interview with them not too not too long ago where like they're all talking about something about money i don't know like there's like this controversy where they're all like you know like i don't care what people think because i'm gonna be rich one day and, and like and everyone's like what is that what are they talking about but like that's totally metal it's like they're like in your face they don't care they're gonna play what they want and they're kind of going against the grain and they're kind of saying what everybody wants to say when they want to join a rock band it's like I want I don't care what you people say I'm awesome and I want to like rule the world and especially with metal you know, people these are three black kids who yep. have kind of turned their backs on
0: what culture tells them they're supposed to like and they are doing stuff like painting their fingernails black and writing these heavy metal riffs, and they go out to Times Square, and they play their asses off. Yeah. Unlocking the truth! floored, including myself and everybody who comes in contact with
1: these kids. pretty amazing. Well, pe- I think metal gets a bum rap. I mean, the like, people that don't know metal think it's purely... And it certainly is, like, embraced by lower-class white culture for such a long time. But it's like... It bands like Suffocation, you know, that it's a, that's a like a death metal, hardcore death metal band from, from New York. My parents played that at their wedding. At, at a, at a suffocate What? No, joking, I'm joking. Oh, oh. oh I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> and, uh... Uh, they you know they've been around they're like they're one of the one of the just the foundations of uh, of you know of metal and of like hardcore death sound and they're you know two black guys drummer and, and the guitarist they've been around since the mid 80s you know and of course you got like in living color but like you know the lead singer of you know sepultura you know you know forever you know it's like fishbone fishbone yeah i mean there's a lot <laughs> i always say metal is the is the this isn't a total metal conversation but like Metal is a true world music. I don't think there's another type of music that is played across the... You know, I just watched a documentary at, um, called uh, uh, Death Metal Angola, where in, in Angola, Africa, there is, like, this town where it's, like, these people run an orphanage by day and teach these kids metal by night. Um, and it's wonderful. It's a beautiful movie. Great movie. And it's just kind of, like... I know why people are making it, It's like, but people think, like, it's so it's, it's so weird and ironic and cool that, like black kids are like in the middle like well Jimi hendrix you know it's like i don't understand i, I do understand where it's coming from but it's just kind of like yeah and it's good music a lot of people relate to it it's 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 aggression it's like not everything in people's lives is perfect and in and, and is. Full of flowers and love and peace and, and good times it's it can be very cathartic and can be very very cathartic to just scream your head off and just play and, and and present this music and 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 be this be this force of nature out there and i think it's in everybody and i just think metal musicians just embody that and that's what i like last question about metal for a while have you seen the film until the
0: light takes us yes i have i love that film yeah your thoughts on it and the brilliance brilliance of Varg Vikernes. In our
2: contemporary society, youth are pretty much lost. They have no direction. Nobody is telling them what to do. That is, people are telling them what to do, but the youth have an instinct telling them this is wrong, you know. People are telling them that Christianity is good. People are telling them that the USA is good, NATO is good, our democracy is good. But we know, if not, uh, if not uh, intellectually, we know instinctively that this is wrong. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I think he's a brilliant craftsman of music. His political views, I think a lot of people f- think, are laughable. I just fucking laugh at that shit. I mean, it's like, come on. I would not want to get in a conversation with him. I think he's, for the most part, uh, probably a piece of crap. Um, but I think maybe it also goes with, like the rap music too in a certain way. Like it's lyrically or whatever themes, it's maybe controversial, but you can't deny the, the, you know, the musicianship and the, the song structures and the way they, what they do with the music. So you got like, there's, that's a, a certain discipline you have, you have to, I guess you have to have for a, as a music guy to like separate yourself from that and just listen to the music, at what it is. But, um, I like black metal. I'm certainly into some of that stuff, but it's not my it's not my it's not totally my cup of tea. There's some great stuff. There's some
3: like, man. Did you like the film? I did like the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so back now. Uh, now we're gonna exit the metal conversation. Sure. And the no man's land for me. We are. I was gonna. I was gonna pull up so y'all could take a picture in front of the state of Ohio, at the uh, World War Two Memorial. Yeah. If I can weasel my way into this park, and It's been so long photo opportunity at the World War
0: II Memorial. If I need to move this joint, I will. We expected
4: something, something better than before. We expected something more. Do you really think you can just put it in a safe behind a painting, lock it up and leave? Do you really think you can just put it in a safe behind a painting, lock it up and leave?
2: You're riding with the Madcap Tour Company. I'm your consumer advocate, Jill Holbrook. Today, Daniel Bloom and David Ross are exploring our nation's capital with Tom Berninger, director of Mistaken for Strangers, a new film opening today about his brother Matt's band, The National.
3: So we talked about outside. Amazing. Yes, yes. We've got some great photos. In the film, there was definitely some hectic times uh, on the road. But at the end of the day, with all the footage compiled and the way it was cut, it was a very touching documentary about a relationship between brothers. And there's no way you you all weren't brought closer after that process. There's no way.
1: No, we knew... Towards the end of the editing it took about two and a half years I mean it took around two years to edit this thing put this thing together what what you saw because the movie is kind of a, a failed movie wrapped up in, in a good movie you know like made into like a good movie like this my failed attempt at making something cool and artsy and funny for the national fell you know just just collapsed. Cause I had no focus, but that was a story in itself of me trying to find myself, find my movie, and, and, and I say this now because I see this in perspective, like it was incredibly important for me and my brother, because he always had faith in me, but the things I did shoot, I could only have shot that, I could have only made those mistakes, and those mistakes actually became, some of them became very beautiful and very honest, actually they're like some of the more honest moments of who I am and who I am as a person came out in my in like these in these weird interviews and these weird attempts at like making a cool image with a with a band member or like a sit down with a, a band member and, a, and a, an acoustic guitar in a bed and it's like it took a while for me to separate myself and see that and my brother eventually saw saw like kind of like the craziness and kind of the the warmth and the hump it's a very humble kind of movie and a very honest portrayal of myself and of the band and and I, and, I, and I hope that fans of the National, we, we always, at the end of the, towards the end of the editing process, we kind of got, started getting excited that, like, maybe this movie is, is, well, like, we like more than more, it's like more than just a rock doc. It's not a rock doc. It's about me and my brother, and my relationship with my brother, and about... A younger brother and an older brother, and an older brother just happens to be a rock star. And how impossible is that for like a younger brother who's trying to, who's also very creative and wants to make a name for himself in any way, you know, or just find himself and do something good and finish something. In and, and how I mean, it was a daunting task. I would all I wanted to do is make something good for my brother and for their band. And I hope I did that, you know.
3: How the band respond to the film?
1: They loved it. They they knew they knew that they that I, I I they knew that I think that I was they finally when they saw it they saw what took so long and why I kept shooting myself making this movie and they had no idea what I was doing why am I still shooting why why do I we need another interview and why are these interviews like talking about Matt or you know um, and and so
3: that was funny when uh, which one was it who was, who, was, who was he was like this is normal people Say they yeah. want to talk to me, but they 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 really just want to know about Matt.
1: Are you okay? Are we? Are you comfortable with these? Yeah, I mean it's cool. It's cool. I'm mean, I, I I'm a little
3: sort of just perplexed just because you guys said that you wanted to, you know, get me into the movie and talk about me, but it seems like you're. Just yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah. about Matt. I mean that's like pretty. That's normal. Most people. I mean a lot of people are just sort of ask questions about Matt, even if they're.
1: No, that's okay. No, you you I'm. Um, um, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it, it was I mean a lot of my interviews ended up at first started becoming just a regular straightforward interview, but that was like so boring and I don't think I was cut out to make that kind of documentary. I'm like I'm, I'm I like the band, I'm just not I'm just I'm not a fan of the indie rock in general, and so I I would be the last person to make a proper rock doc on the National. So I had like and so towards the end of my interviews I'd always kind of end up just talking about Matt because I knew it would be something about me and my brother I knew that I was a part of the documentary but I didn't realize how whiny I was coming across and how much they were coming across the band members we're coming across, like, like my shoulders are crying or, like, my psychiatrist. That was, like, the funniest stuff. That's yes. like, it's, like, what, like these guys are ending up, like, just talk, these guys are ending up talking to the documentarian trying to work out the problems of the guy behind the camera. And I thought, like, just as strictly a, a filmmaker standpoint or a film standpoint, like, that's weird. That's, like, that's a different take on the whole documentary. And I just happened to do that kind of by accident. I knew I was talking about Matt, trying to explore what it is for him to be a rock star, what they think of him as a rock star. But I really, it was all about me and him. I was like, when you get down to it, I was just like venting my feelings about his popularity and how he he seems to have it all figured out. And I can't figure it out,
3: you know. How did your your previous boss, Brandon, take this film?
1: He took it in stride. He... He's a good, great guy. We are good friends. He is—he is like that. He is pretty tough. He's—he's he's kind of—he's kind of—he's kind of a tough guy. Um, but he's been with the band for I don't know, like ten years or something like that. And um, whenever, whenever he was on camera with me, it was somehow there was a weird, just funny dynamic. He just comes—he was just so st- stone cold sometimes. And through the editing process, we made him out to be much more of a of a hard guy than he really is. I mean, he kind of comes across, we needed, like we say, we kind of said, like we needed a, a villain. We needed a Darth Vader. And We, we always said that from, because we kind of made ourselves like, we got to tell Brandon, how are we going to tell Brandon that he's in this movie, he's not going to be painted in a great light. And he's like, well, Brandon, you're kind of like the Darth Vader. <laughs> and, um, and he's like, okay, what does that mean? And, uh, and he's like, well, you know, you're not so, you're kind of, you know, you, you, we took all the moments that you're really hard on Tom, and put him in the movie, and left out all the good stuff. And he's like, "Oh fuck!" But he's come, he's come to me since then and say, "You know what? People are hearing about this movie and how I am in the movie, and people who see it and they treat me with so much more respect. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I'm actually liking the, what this movie has done for my career. I'm like, well, good. You can, you know, you can thank me later.
3: That uh, first, that first uh, shot when he's trying to. When he's trying to fix some cable stuff like that you're asking him a question he was like he was like I really I really can't deal with this right now like that was that, that was That set stuff. the tone for the whole tour. That <laughs> set the
1: tone for like
0: you know you're here because we need someone to do this stuff right. And you know you just need to be careful about not partying and you know you're you're, you're not a band member you're you're a crew member. And, right. You know like this shit has to get done. Right. <laughs> Don't step
1: what are you trying to do,
0: Brandon? Uh, uh, to film. Hey, Tom, I can't do this right now, dude. You gotta leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Can I watch? Terry, Terry, you need to tell. Can you? Can you stop? Terry, you need to tell me if this is getting brighter.
1: And when I was finally editing this stuff, I was like, I do remember this time when Brandon yelling at me. And let's see if like I did have it on. Like, oh shit, this is like. Like, I mean, our movie, like, every movie was, like, six hours long at one point, you know. And, you know, we whittle it down to a good, like, 75 minutes perfect time. But, yeah, it was, like, like, he comes across as a real asshole. But, like, but, on the other hand, I did mess up. And I certainly, there was reasons for him to be very angry with me, you know. And so I hope we had a good balance between, like, yes, Tom's kind of getting a lot of shit from Brandon and his brother, but... I kind of deserved it. Sometimes I look back and like I did get wasted a lot. I did just I made half this movie drunk, and um, and I wouldn't try to do that again. It's not a good
3: idea. That that's sh- that shot of you <laughs> in L.A. with his Los Angeles. I was like, this is hilarious when you're oh. in the pool. Yeah. Hey, Moby. I think that's
4: Moby's house. Where? Up on the the hill, that castle-looking thing with the, the the white the turrets and stuff. How do you know? There was, like, a, a New York Times, like, online real estate tour or something. I, was I swear that's it. It looks super familiar. Hey, Mommy Don't yell at the fucking neighbors.
1: I mean, I knew the cameras on, but I was just, like, joking around. I didn't think that was going to be in the movie. But, uh,
3: it was... <laughs> it was <laughs>
1: That was a good scene. My brother didn't like. It wasn't wasn't
3: too happy with me. I also liked when you didn't make the bus on time.
1: You missed the bus call. We're almost two hours out of town, and Brandon wakes me up and he says, "He said, Dude, your brother's not here? You're an hour out Put of town." Ca- don't do, don't film it. Put the camera down. We. Well, so looks in your bunk, and then no, there's Tom's not in there, and we looked up, like nobody has any idea. I was I was. Bran was furious, I was super worried, and like, it was like, where were you? Like, who were you with? I was with Brian and Scott! They yeah. were on the bus! They no. made it back to the bus, that bus car, like everybody, like, like. No one, supposed to. Who, Put the camera who leaves friends at a bar? Like, they should've like, hey, Tom, we're leaving, no one did that. That's not their, you're not their responsibility, you're a fucking adult! I was just having a good time! be <laughs> What did he say? I'm sorry. We, we have to go... Am I fired or what? Technically, yes. But the, the, you shouldn't... You, you, don't put it through
4: that filter. Please, just you, think of an opportunity. Now you can, you can... Why are you filming this?
1: You sure you want to film this? Um... If you don't mind, I would like to have this on record. We hoped that this
0: would be the right fit. And it it isn't working.
4: This is, when it's, this is when it starts to get a little bit more
0: depressing.
1: I was late for the bus, and they were coming. They knew where I was, and they were coming for me. But I was late, um, and that's just a big. It's it's you you can't do it, especially with like. Especially with the crew bus, with all the crew members, because the crew members have to, have to, you know, be at the venue first thing until for loadout. They cannot be late because they got to do all the tech techs. and it's just, it's a just bad showing. It's um, it's disrespectful, and especially when you're not a band member, you, you can't do that. But I was left. I was kind of like, I, I swear to God, like it seemed like we just got there when everybody left.
3: But but the way when you when you used all that with the music in the background when you reenacted it towards the end of, towards the end of the, part of the uh, later part of the film, it liked it was it was a very beautiful scene.
1: Oh yeah, um, with me like looking
3: at my footage and
1: and yeah yeah. When I set my camera up there to do all that, um, I I knew that I needed like. Those are the moments like I knew that I had to get my myself on camera, you know, uh, looking at myself failing and like being honest with myself. That's basically I knew that like to make this movie any good, I had to be completely honest with myself. And I just kept rolling and I kept rolling on me looking at myself screwing up. I mean, I knew that was gonna be really self-reflexive and very meta. Going to say how meta is that? That's super meta. But like, I and I was a little worried about like how meta. Is this going to be and how annoying will it be for the like? Are people going to get this? I mean, this is supposed to be a sentimental moment, but it's also very meta sentimentally. Uh, But uh, it ended up working really, really well, you know. And to be honest, I shot that as kind of, I knew I needed something like that. I knew that, like, I needed, like, so, like, I needed something like I need to figure myself in the movie. I need to figure myself out. And I'm like, well, I got to show myself, like, learning something, because I have learned something. Well, this movie is about me, so I better shoot myself in the process of learning, you know. And it was weird, and it was a strange moment in the movie. Strange to film it, too.
0: Did making this movie and having it be received so well change the way you feel about yourself?
1: Um... Well, yeah, I, um... I, I actually feel like I can make a movie, and I can make a good story. I'm, I'm more proud of, um... Crafting a good story. Sure, I had some help. Absolutely, had a lot of help. But uh, I was on the right track. I knew that this was this is going to make a better story. And simply from a filmmaker standpoint, I still want to make movies. I still want to make narratives. But uh, I think I think we did it. And I succeeded in, in, in telling more than just a doc and an informational doc about the band. Or like I, I crafted a like a. It's hard to make a heartwarming kind of comedy. Especially comedy, you know, because I realize how funny I am on camera sometimes, and not trying to be that way. Or, but I, I, I felt like I pulled something off. I pulled something off that was, was that I thought was going to be impossible. Like me in a movie, me being drunk, being obnoxious little brother that that somehow gets twisted into something kind of effective and emotional, and and very relatable to any siblings. I never thought I'd be making a sibling movie. I thought I'd just be making a. You know a, a rock, you know, a rock doc, you know.
0: What role do you want to play in the production of your next film? Do you think you'll go in front of the camera again? Do you want to be a director? Do you want to write something? What What are you uh, creatively inspired to follow up with?
1: Um, yeah, I I, I I, certainly, from being in front of the camera on this movie, I, 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 I see myself, like, I'm not so bad. Um, people have said wonderful thing I, I've been I've been kind of uh, very humbled by the fact that like people seem to like me. Um, everybody lo- hates to look at themselves in the mirror. Everybody sees all these terrible flaws uh, in themselves, and I certainly did. But the fact that like I didn't have much self esteem growing up, although I was a chubby kid for the most part, and it just gives me more confidence that like m- the only problem is, is I've always wanted I always wanted to be the villain in movies. If I ever was an actor, I want to be Freddy Krueger. Or, or Jason or something like that and I realize I don't think I have an intimidating bone in my body which is unfortunate because I would have loved to play like a cannibal or something like that and it's unfortunate so that's the only unfortunate thing um, but I definitely like to direct again and and I don't know what I'm gonna do next I got a few things I'm thinking about but i um, I'm just enjoying the moment now you know well you said uh, that you don't
0: think you're intimidating looking or you couldn't be a villain but don't sell yourself short, because with like a really crazed look in your eye and like some rusty hatchet and like foam coming out of your mouth, I would be extremely intimidated by you. You'd make a great villain in that uh, in that getup.
1: Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, I, I, I like my favorite horror, like my favorite horror movie villain is definitely Freddy. I think he's always uh, he is by far the most evil because he does it with a smile. Any talks, any he, any he wisecracks—that he's the most diabolical of them all. Uh, maybe Hannibal Lecter.
4: A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti.
1: I always wanted to play. I always wanted to be in the mask.
2: It's the Madcap Tour Company, and you're listening to Daniel Bloom and David Ross's conversation with Tom Berninger, director of the film Mistaken for Strangers. I'm your omnipotent voice, Jill Holbrook. And now, back to the ride.
4: This is nothing like a was in the room, in my best place.
3: We are at the Martin Luther King Memorial. Shout out to Dr. King. Big shout out.
4: <laughs>
3: Big shout out. All right. I believe we have
0: seen a shot of or heard the voice of Dr. King in the first two documentaries that we viewed here at AFI Docs. This is a lovely photo, isn't it? Smile for justice.
1: you guys get towed? no we're not there yet oh well oh. um and
0: you, you, you say
1: you say you guys like you're not in with us right now if we get towed, we all get towed. that's <laughs> right like, well we know, we've been meaning to walk around here anyways but you will not be expected to pitch in yeah. <laughs> i will if you need me to no worries i mean you need me to say my name maybe i maybe i'll get you out of a ticket i'm, yeah. I'm tom burning i'm the director of mistake for strangers don't you know who i am oh yeah Let's talk about that a little bit. Mistaken for Strangers is the title of
0: a song by The National. What made you decide to pick that, that film title?
1: Oh, a lot of going through a bunch of other names. Um, we, our, the first name of the movie was Summer Love and Torture Party, <laughs> um, which was a lyric, apparently, of The Nationals. <laughs> and uh, I, I liked it, but it was hard to remember, even for me. And then I was working out with a friend of mine. And hey, we're listening to ACDC. Whole lot of Rosie, I think that's her best one. Won't tell you a story
4: about a woman I know. I come to love him. steal the show. She ain't exactly pretty, ain't exactly small.
0: 423956, you can say she got it all!
1: My brother was there and he's like what about for those about to weep for you know for those about to rock And, uh, but, like, national sad sack, you know, so, so-called so sad sack music. For those about to weep. I'm like, that is awesome. For those about to weep. And that was the title. That that was it. We love I still like that title. But, uh, some me, I don't know, like, but it still didn't, like, you know, people, like, want to, like, to get to know what the movie's all about immediately sometimes with the title. And there's, there's arguments for that and against it, like, just totally just, blatantly having kind of a, a, you know, a an easy title. But then we, one of uh, my sister's, or not my sister, my sister-in-law's friend said like, what about for, Mistaken for Strangers? And that just seemed like that was it. it like why didn't we not think of that before? Um, that's a perfect title. Um, yeah, and I'm so happy we, we picked that. Maybe the sequels for those about to weep, I don't know.
0: I like that. Do you think you'll ever do another movie um, about music or do you think you'll move on to other kinds of storytelling?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm, I, you know, I have idea, I, not that this is a huge success and I'm, you know, but, but it's, like a, it's a step forward in my career and I did kind of have, I'm, I made a music, somewhat music doc. So that, that there is that in my you know, in, I guess that's what I can do, or what people might think that I can do, but you know I, I don't know I don't know what I'm gonna do next honestly.
4: Make it something to believe in your heart of hearts. see so something to wear on your sleeve of sleeves. So you sweat. You're just saw a feather. In
0: Skirted the law once again, one step ahead of the lawman, the sheriff. Yes, Dr. King, uh, you, your justice has prevailed once again. We appreciate it. We honor your spirit as much as uh, as much as we can, possibly can. Don't try this. Don't try this, folks. Not everybody can pull up, pull off the kind of daring acts that David Ross practices on the daily fries
3: know Tom about when you first decided you wanted to do this documentary like when was the moment it hit
1: well I was a shooting it it was when my brother invited me on tour and it was I wanted to use their star power to create something for my reel or just you know put my name out there that like I'm Matt's younger brother I shoot I can shoot your video or you know or anything I just wanted to use their star power to reinvigorate my my filmmaking life—it it had been like five or six years since I've created anything. I was just kind of just doing my thing in Cincinnati and not really being very creative. And I mean, that was the start. He's like, "Come on tour with me, get out of Cincinnati." And we both talked about me bringing my camera along, and he was totally cool with it. Wait a sec,
3: I, I, I want to talk about Cincinnati real quick. Sure. You—you you said doing your thing. You—you did, you did some horror films, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, that was in that was in college in Montana State University. I went way. I I kind of. Um, went way out of my way to go to school because I never really applied for the big film schools because I was one of those kids that, like, they were deemed well below the grade point average on the standardized tests, but I was an A and B student, but I took tests really poorly, and I didn't want to be turned down by these these film schools that all they look at is your grade point average. I knew I've always wanted to make movies. I loved movies all my life, like a lot of people do, but I, I had a passion for it, but I felt like most schools just don't take into account, you know, like, just look at your grades, and I knew that I couldn't get into the big schools, which, actually, I'm so happy they went to Montana, because they, it was a production-oriented school, I got to make my first movie on my freshman year, you know, on Super 8, but um, I, that's where I made my pseudo-action-horror-western movies, I was, Bozeman, Montana was where the university's located, and it was just a beautiful town, 90 miles outside of Yellowstone, and... I just thought, like, wow, why? Don't, you know, a lot of kids from Montana went there and made noir films, or like, you know, and and these movies that don't take place in Montana have nothing to do with like your surroundings. And I, you know, from Cincinnati, I thought this was a beautiful location. I got to take advantage of these mountains. So I just made my first big horror movie was it was about it's called From the Dirt Under His Nails, and it's about an insane animal trapper who resurrects from the dead because somebody took a basically off his dying body somebody took his rifle away and and he 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 rose back to life because like i know this like all mountain men want to die with their rifle <laughs> now i re, now i realize how pro nra and how kind of awful that sounds i was you know i was young um,
3: would, would you be willing to reenact a scene from that film
1: jeez well uh a lot of rage not a lot of talking very no <laughs> No females whatsoever. <laughs> um, there's a lot, a lot of testosterone, a lot of male aggression and, and firepower.
3: What was the female response to the film?
1: Um, not good. <laughs> not, not good.
3: It was a I, slow I, burn? Like, they- I
1: think, like, Tom, you've got to work on your dialogue <laughs> and tone down the violence. I think there's a lot of screaming. It was very cold, too. It was, it was a very s- silent, cold movie at some point, and then, and then just murderous rage.
0: When does uh, The Dirt Under His Fingernails come out as a musical the, adaptation? From The Dirt Under His Nails. From The Dirt Under His Nails. When is the musical coming out?
1: The musical? Oh.
0: I think um, that idea has legs. Myself, I know.
1: I know. Well, geez, I, I, I'm almost a little embarrassed. Like I said, the subject matter is very like, pro, like it would seem pro-gun these days. But actually, he's an evil guy. He's a, he's a, yeah. He goes and kills. And but I don't know. I, I, wouldn't do it. I, I, have grown, I've, I've grown up since then. But then my second movie, which was kind of a pseudo sequel to Dirt Under and Under His Nails, uh, called Wages of Sin, um, which was about a, um, a barbarian uh within a uh going through an identity crisis <laughs> he didn't know how to speak or say a, he didn't know how to talk and uh, but his friend at the beginning of the movie his friend dies in his arms because uh he was captured by these hooded creatures zombie creatures and um he my, my the barbarian couldn't save him in time and he and, he's, and he and he's overcome by emotion but he doesn't know what's happening to him he feels like his he feels rage and anger and wants to cry. And the exact same time, he hears this beautiful flute music. And so he hunts it down. And he wants to destroy this music that he thinks is making him feel like he's going to cry. And he meets this man called Cell, this musician. And it changes his life. He was ready to attack this guy named Cell, who's playing this flute music. And the guy shoots a poisonous dart from his flute into, into the barbarian's neck. And he goes into this strange hallucinogenic. Uh, state and he realizes his 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 awful ways, and he tries to change his ch- changes his life around. He tries to make a flute for himself, but he plays horribly. At the end of the movie, and some um, other dude comes up and tries to take the flute away. And then he goes and kills the guy. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I those early days, I was more or less learning the craft of filmmaking, not necessarily the the the, uh, the writing.
0: So you're from Cincinnati. How did growing up there affect you personally and creatively, if so?
1: Cincinnati is great. I mean, it was a you know, like any you know mid-sized city. I lived in the suburbs, and my parents never had cable, but they did have a VCR. You know, my brother made them get a VCR, so I never, I never, movies renting movies was a huge deal for me. And I was one of those kids that would spend hours. My mom would be waiting in the car, and I just like spent hours just looking trying to find that movie that I wanted to rent for that weekend like two movies I always got to get two movies for the weekend I had friends but I I was I was kind of a home you know indoor kid for the most part and I would I would at least rent two to four movies every weekend and and watch them and a lot of you know mainly it'd be action movies or horror movies and and for for the longest time I could tell you I would have every single movie cover memorized because I just, you know, would go around and, and see them on the shelves, and I would just be able to tell you who's in every single movie, you know, at least from the 90s all the way through. I can even almost remember the covers. Um, I think a lot of kids probably have that. But um, I'm in the video games. I'm never in the comic books, um, just because I never had a comic book store near me. So I was, I was more of a movies and video games kid. And, um, and I was the only kid that I know of that was totally in the movies at a young age.
0: I just wanted to big up Cincinnati because my mom went to University of
1: Cincinnati. Oh yeah,
0: Big up the Bearcats. We've never talked about Cincinnati on this show before.
1: No, we are now. Um, <laughs> I'm not a I'm a sports fan, but I, like I said, I was never like not good at sports. I played football when I was much younger, but when I hit varsity, I was always a big kid. I was always one of the biggest kids, and I played offensive and de- defensive tackle and or guard. I was interchangeable, and you know I do my job, but I I just hated I just hated. The fact that like I heard a kid, I heard some kid when I was like in uh, in my varsity year, and I'm like, "Fuck this!" Excuse me, but my friend, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm you like, I fuck. It's like, and then like you know, and the coaches were like, instead of was like at that point when you hit varsity in like eighth, seventh, and eighth grade, still really young, but that that was all serious because you were going to go into high school. You know, like in my high school, football is really big in Cincinnati, and my high school was a super football school. You know, I went the state many, many times, and but like even in grade school. Like the coaches were like, come on, get your shit together. I'm like, I'm like, 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 like what, what, what the hell was that? You know, like, I'm like, what? I'm just like, Whoa. Whoa. I like, I just like, I just want to like, I'm not like, I don't even want to be here anymore. I don't want to go home and watch my movies, you know. Um, so I was like, this is not for me. I'm not a football guy anymore. I know you're a serious
4: lady, even off a teacup full of cherries. Nobody knows. you are living nobody knows where you are take a bath and get high, through an apple wanted to cry but you can't when you're laughing nobody knows where you are living nobody knows where you are you're so far around the back
3: This film opened Tribeca, all right. Yeah. How did you find out? What is their what is their way of communication? How does that work?
1: Well, I was I was in New York f- finalizing the edit with um, with uh, Marshall Curry, the one of the producers, executive producer, and his 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 editor, uh, Matt Hamichick. Uh, he was the supervising editor who kind of helped me really tighten the whole thing down, and. We we're in there, and we knew we we're in the festival, which was a huge weight off my shoulders, is because I didn't know what the hell I made. I'm like, I was like, we got into a festival, we got into Tribeca. That's amazing. It's like that's a real, it's a real movie. It's not just a rock. It's a real. It's like a real movie. And then we we're in his office, and I guess like there was an email or a phone call or something that that they they knew I was over at uh, Marshall's office, and his his assistant came in, and, and he's like, you, they just called you're opening the festival. They asked you to open the festival and and marshall and matt hamachek or marshall like really like, they looked at me there was like there's like this stunned silence and at first i'm thinking like congratulations marshall what like i didn't know you had a movie in here <laughs> you know? and and then they're like no it's your movie tom like uh, what, you know and i never done the festival circuit so i didn't know what that meant and like like are you saying i'm opening the, are you saying like my movie is like plays at one o'clock on the first day of the festival like it's like a matinee like it's like the first movie they're like no it's the opening night movie <laughs> like you're gonna like it's everybody from the festivals invited everybody's gonna go I mean it's a, it's a huge like it's a huge deal it's the huge biggest deal I'm like last year it was like five-year engagement you know and last year like the, the Avengers close the festival like these are big movies that do this and at that point I got incredibly nervous and scared and and thought they were making a big mistake um, <laughs> a little bit I at that point I got things got really serious. I mean, in a good way, but like, like we just had to get our game face on and, and, and finish the cut. We had another like three or four weeks to deliver it, but we were still fine-tuning it. And it was incredible. I mean, it's the biggest honor, you know, people say the best night of your life. And it was one, of, it was up there. I mean, it was an incredible, it was just the most, most fun. Even though I was in a weird state of mind, um, I'm, I was I was not as nervous as I am now at other screenings because now other other people like since these these screenings are happening now and people have already read a little bit about the movie that i 'm afraid it's going to let people down but at that point no one knew anything about the movie and I was in in kind of a state of shock the whole time that I was just kind of I was kind of in a catatonic state and so i wasn 't really all that nervous i 'm like fuck it. Oh,
3: fuck it. Yes, that's your answer. That's your answer to everything.
1: I'm just going to go up there and say thank you, you know, thank you so much. I just, I have very few words to express what I'm feeling right now, but I, you know, thank you, thank you so much. And it went, went over in, amazingly. I, it, it couldn't have gone better. And I look back at it now and I'll just, I'll always remember it. Um,
3: Who'd you get to meet that night that you were excited, that you never met before, that you were really excited uh, to meet?
1: Robert De Niro. Wow. Um, Obviously, and um, I mean, Jane Rosen, all the people from Tribeca, the big, the big wigs from Tribeca. De
0: Niro's heavily involved. That's like his baby, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Man of few words, but super nice, super My kind. Faces. Many faces, yeah. Man of, man of many faces, very few words.
4: You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me?
2: Who the hell are you talking? Talking to me? Well, I'm the
1: only one here. The after party. I mean, I met like so many people came up to me. The one, you know, Barbara Koppel, the documentarian. I knew her. I knew uh, her name and I knew a few of her movies. But the main guy that was like, I couldn't believe loved my movie was Joe Berlinger, who did uh, the Paradise Lost trilogy and Metallica, some kind of monster. And he came up to me and just said, "You, you, what a great movie!" I mean, he just loved my movie, and that was. That was the one guy, because I'm not really a documentarian, but that was the one documentarian I was totally familiar with. And I just, like, I couldn't believe I was meeting him, and I can't believe he's liking my movie. So that was awesome. And I met a lot of, you know, I met a lot of cool people and just, like, star and familiar faces and directors. And Paul Haggis, you know, came up to me and was like, was like, great movie, man. Like, this is just a weird, surreal moment.
3: Do you still reside in Ohio?
1: Not anymore. I, I spent some time in Brooklyn, and then I'm, and right now I'm in L.A. But um, my parents are obviously from Ohio, so we go the, back there every summer and winter, pretty much. Let's
3: talk about your parents briefly. So, from the film, your parents seem very artistic. I was always happy.
1: Oh, God,
0: I know. You were happy. Until yeah.
3: Until now I'm the depressed one,
1: and, and that's all happy again, because well. he's successful. <laughs> right?
2: You're successful. No, I'm not. You will be i'm I'm telling you I know that. I'm positive of it. What I'm, have I always told you?
1: I'm your most creative
2: most talented. You are my most talented, and I've said that from the time you were a little kid, and I believe it. I still believe it. I mean it. You don't believe it.
3: I mean, your dad was doing some crazy stuff with wood just in the background. Your mom had your mom is an amazing painter. How'd you breathe it in just
1: um you know when I was growing up my dad I would have like I think for like a good twenty years when the kids were growing up or even longer, like thirty years, both my mom and dad didn't probably do a single piece of artwork, but i had they would have these old drawings of like my dad had these old charcoal drawings that he did before any of his kids were born, and my mom did had some artwork before any of the kids were born, but then for like twenty years, they didn't do anything until we all got out of the house. My dad started taking up pottery again. I mean, they're getting old, you know. And they, you know, they're they're kind of they're very liberal people, and and my mom just started painting, you know, again heavily, and she paints these these wonderful like these kind of like flowers and 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 landscapes and things that you know and some abstractions too, but they're always promoting the arts and and they supported all all of us you know my sisters actually was never a very artistic one my, my my parents always said my sister was the son they never had because she actually went out to Seattle and went mountain climbing and and did all the outdoor stuff she loves the outdoors me and my brother <laughs> were are like eh, we like the outdoors we're like uh, I'm just gonna sketch in my sketchbook or you know write poetry or something like that. and what's
3: the, what's the age difference how old is your sister
1: my sister is a year older than my brother, so my sister is 10 years older than me. My brother is 9 years older than me. You know, and I was... it was about 6 years ago during Thanksgiving dinner. All the family was just having some beers, drinking, you know, having Thanksgiving. Everybody was back in town. And my sister said something, you know, about, like, how it was when my brother and my sister were growing up with my parents. And then they said, then Tom came along. And I'm like, what do you mean when I... Ca-? And then it just finally struck me. I'm like... Oh, I wasn't planned, was I? I was, I was like, I was a happy accident. Which my my sister, my my mom and dad are like, do, 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 like, what are you talking about, Tom? <laughs> and like, we love, we were, we were so happy that you you came into our lives. I'm like, well, obviously I know, but like now it makes sense. Like, no parent plans to have another kid after nine years. Like, they're done. Well, you, I don't know that. My parents love me, and I love my parents. They, you know, but it's like. It's like no I get it. I totally get it. Um but yeah, I learned that I was going to I was I was a I was unplanned. If I found that out about myself, I would think I'm playing with house money.
0: I'm good to go. <laughs> I hope that affords you some modicum of freedom.
1: I think I'd already used all that up. I realized I got so much more shit when I was a kid than my brother or my sister ever did because I was the baby, super baby. I was like yeah. My, my, my brother was almost another adult in my life, you know. And that same effect he was like, you know, he never beat me up. I was just too little to ever be, like, beaten up or, like, you know, harassed by my older brother. He would always take me under his wing. we would go see movies, like I said. And, and I, I got all the good good stuff. I got all the Nintendos. and As an only child, I always
0: grew up wanting an older brother because it seemed like the coolest thing. I mean, that can be a double-edged sword because sometimes you get picked on and whatnot, but... I always love the idea of there being kind of an older figure who can show you kind of the way and influence you uh, in terms of culture and kind of what's cool. You know, what was that like to grow up with uh, with an older brother in that way?
1: Um, it was awesome. I mean, he was the greatest older brother that I, I, anybody could really have. Um, he, yeah, he took me to Radiodar Movies. He, he was a big influence on my life with movies. Um... He, I think the way he, I, just, I saw him take movies seriously and I thought like, well movies, you know, like that's, then I should take movies seriously and, and, like, and, and examine them the way he was examining them in front of me and in front of his friends. You know, he would take me to see movies with all his friends and they would all talk about it afterwards at like Skyline Chili or something like that in Cincinnati. And obviously that sunk in. Stand up straight at the foot of your love
0: Lift my shirt up. Well, We really appreciate you guys spending some time with us, rolling through our fair city. Congratulations on all the success, and have a good time tonight. Thank you guys so much. This has been a lot a lot of fun, seriously. Awesome. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I was carried
4: to Ohio in a swam I never married, but Ohio don't remember me.
0: Tom Berninger is the director of the film Mistaken for Strangers, released in theaters and on iTunes today. For more information on the film, visit mistakenforstrangersmovie.com. Tom tweets at Tom Berninger, and the movie's Twitter account is at National Movie. As for The National, they'll be going on tour shortly in support of their sixth studio album, Trouble Will Find Me. Their website is AmericanMary.com. You can find all these links and see all the pictures we took at MadCapDC.org. Special thanks go out to Tom Berninger for spending the day with us, his friend Dana for accompanying the crew, and to Lauren Selman and everyone at AFI Docs.
2: Thank you for riding with the Madcap Tour Company. We realized that you had many options when booking your excursion today, and we deeply, and I do mean deeply, appreciate your patronage. If you enjoyed your time with us, please tell a friend and leave us a review on TripAdvisor or at madcapdc.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, at MadCapDC. I'm Jill Holbrook, and I hope you have a pleasant evening and a joyous tomorrow. Toodle-doo!
0: MadCap is produced by Dan Bloom. David
2: Ross, and Afim Shapiro.
3: Our intern is Marquise Goodwin.